Please open your Bible to 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. And as we begin, I just wanted to say, as we have approbated Bill, uh, it would be <clears throat> also appropriate to give Nancy a very large hand for putting up with Bill during this time. Thank you. We know. We know. If it weren't for Nancy Treby and all that she does and all the backup and the help that she gives to her husband, uh, Bill would not be the man he is. Right, Bill? Amen. I know how that is for me, so it has to be at least somewhat the same for you, Bill. The other day I was reading in the news and I saw that nine U.S. soldiers had been killed in Afghanistan last Sunday when their outpost was overrun. I think if anything we are assured of in life, we know one thing. Living on this planet, we're living in a war zone. How many of us have to be convinced that this is a dangerous time and a dangerous place to live? Just look at the news and at least 20 to 30 percent of it has to do with warfare, either with physical killing Warfares of culture, warfares of finance, the stock market seems to be a war zone. The housing market seems to be a war zone. Relations among people, race relations, a war zone. We living in dangerous times. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says about this. Because he also knew that even in those days... He was living in an unfriendly environment. And more than unfriendly, an environment which reeked of warfare and of constant opposition and of constant danger. So this is what he tells Timothy as he is giving this young man, Timothy, the instruction of how to be building and leading and continuing to encourage the church in Ephesus. And he says to Timothy, he says... Flee from these things, the things that he's been talking about, the love of money and etc. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This warfare, this struggle that we are experiencing in the natural is but a taste and a faint reality or a faint revelation of the real warfare that is occurring in the heavens. What we experience on the earth ain't nothing compared to what is happening in the heavens and we will call this, as is typically called, spiritual warfare. Father, open our hearts, our minds. And Father, as Elijah said, Elisha said to, his, uh, to you, open the eyes of this servant that he may see what is happening in the heavens.
Father, this morning, we no longer want to live as those who are partially seeing or even blinded to the truth of what is happening in the most strategic area and the most essential area in the heavens. So, Father, as Elisha said about his servant Gehaziel, Father, open our eyes to what is happening in the heavens. Father, would you give us today a larger view, a greater understanding, even as we just barely scratch the surface. Father, so many things will be mentioned and so much more needs to be mentioned. Father, so many questions will be posed and a few will be answered. But Father, more than anything else, cause us to be aware, aware of what is really happening, that where we live is more dangerous than Iraq spiritually, more dangerous than Afghanistan, more dangerous than being in a ghetto, more dangerous than any other place. Father, we are living in a war zone. Show us today, prepare our hearts, teach us, equip us, in Jesus' name, amen. What is spiritual warfare? Well, I've used a definition from a book called Demolishing Strongholds by David Devonish. The reality that the advance of the gospel and the building of the church involve us in attacking and experiencing counterattack in relation to real cosmic forces of darkness under the control of Satan, who is also described as the God of this world. Remember, our warfare is occurring on three different fronts, on three different fronts, the world, the flesh and the devil, the world, the flesh and the devil. Our warfare is occurring in three different spheres, if you would, but all three of these are combined, if you would, into a one-sphere reality. It's not that the world is over here and is separate from the flesh, and then we have the flesh over here, and then we have the demonic. All three are interactive, so they really become one, but they are given to us in three different categories for our understanding and for our being able to be better equipped. And the warfare is being conducted by two great generals, the lesser one, Satan, and the greater general, Jesus Christ. Those are the commanders, if you would, of the warfare. Now, spiritual warfare, when you open the Bible, you will immediately begin to see that spiritual warfare is one of the most predominant and consistent themes of the entire Bible. Immediately, when God says, it is very good what I have done, at the end of chapter 2, it closes, and the beginning of chapter 3 begins immediately with the opposition of Satan against the purposes of God. And from Genesis all the way through Revelation, until Satan is cast into the lake of fire, there is a theme that runs through the Bible in a thunderous, thunder, great warfare is occurring on the earth in the spiritual sphere and being worked out and realized in the natural arena. So this warfare isn't something that, well, we just want to emphasize something interesting and exciting 
Warfare is the central activity that is occurring on this earth and in our lives as the spiritual forces that oppose the purpose of God are constantly, malevolently, and consistently, unrelentingly coming against what God is doing. It is the, a prominent theme. You remember, Jesus' ministry began in spiritual warfare. The immediate result of Jesus being baptized in the wilderness, the Bible says, and the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. And what did he do in the wilderness for 40 days? He didn't sit around and just look at the scenery. He contested against the enemy of God. There was a cosmic warfare at that point that he entered into on our behalf as the man God who came upon the earth to overcome the issues that Satan had created through the fall. Ministry begins with warfare. warfare. Discuss this area this morning. I want to break it down in three major categories. The three major categories would be our adversary, our advocate, and our, our action. Now, we're only going to touch on a few things. We hope just to raise the bar of understanding here, or at least of awareness. This subject of warfare needs to be dealt with in a much greater detail, and perhaps at one of the School of the Word opportunities in the future when we're back in the building, we can take a much larger time to deal with the issues. And so... I'm going to go through this as efficiently and as quickly as I can, trying to hopefully share with us the salient issues that I believe the Holy Spirit has given. There are going to be things that we're not going to talk about. There are going to be things that you have questions about. There are going to be things that you don't understand. There are going to be things that will help. We just have to see that this morning is not an exhaustive presentation of this issue. It's just given to cause us to become more aware of what's going on among us. Satan is a fallen angelic being who directs the spiritual forces against the purposes of God in us. He is a real being. Please don't be deceived this morning to think that Satan is not a real being. Jesus confronted a real being in the wilderness. He is called the... Ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's called the God of this world. In John 14.30, Jesus calls him the prince of this world. And so you see, he has authority of rulership and control over the inhabitants of earth. But when we say that, we must make sure we understand this, that Although Satan has immense ability, that ability is limited to God's permission. That ability is not pell-mell. It is not anywhere and everywhere that he wants to do. He doesn't have unrestrained ability. He has ability within the context of what God's permission and purpose dictates. Never think that Satan can overrule the will and the purpose of God. He must always remain within the context of God's purpose and of God's permission. You remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is saying to Peter, Satan has demanded 
permission to sift you as we. But I have prayed that your faith fail not. Satan cannot do anything upon planet earth apart from the permission and purpose of God. So what does he do? Well, how can he oppose the purpose of God? Well, first, two major categories, unbelievers and believers. What does he do with unbelievers? Well, very succinctly, in unbelievers, he blinds their minds. Remember in 2 Corinthians 4.4, he blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Hopefully, as we give you a lot of scripture, you will take time on your own to look these up and to go into more detail. Not only does he blind the minds of the unbelieving, but he controls their wills. Now, I know that we don't like to hear that, that we believe that we have free will. The Bible says that our wills before we were saved were under the control of Satan. We only had the will to obey Satan. Our freedom, if you would, was within the context of obedience to an unmerciful taskmaster. That's the freedom of the will that we had. He controlled our wills and he inflicts death. He has a power of death over unbelievers. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tells you that. Now, what about in believers? Well, you remember in John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh only to steal, kill, and destroy. I love that word only. Only to ki- steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, what else is there? But this is his purpose in our lives. He has a purpose. His purpose is to oppose and overthrow, if he can, which he cannot, the glory of God in us. And he does it by coming against us to steal, kill, or destroy. Now, you see, Satan cannot prevent our being saved. May I repeat that? Satan cannot prevent our being saved. Don't leave here today thinking, oh, my God. Suppose Satan doesn't allow my mama to be saved. Satan cannot prevent anyone from being saved. Are we clear on that? He doesn't have that kind of ability. The will of God saves whom he will. But you see, now that he cannot prevent us from being saved... What he can do is interfere with the effect of salvation in us as to our sanctification and maturity and living. He can touch that area. And that's the area that he does deal with. So you see the location of the activity and the attacks and the assaults of Satan in these fleshly bodies, this fallen flesh. This is the warfare zone. Everything is directed toward coming against the presence and purpose of God in us in such a way that Satan can, if he can, undo the purpose of God, but at least to afflict assaults against it. Remember what Paul said in Romans 6, 12. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign or rule or control in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. Now, what does he say? He says, do not let it. What does that mean? That means that as a believer, we have absolute ability 
to control the activity of sin in our lives. May I repeat that? Somebody ought to say amen. We have, as believers, absolute ability in Christ to control the activity of sin in our life. I don't want you to leave here today thinking the devil made me do it and I just can't help it because he's stronger than I am. We have absolute control in Christ over every activity and temptation to sin. You see... Satan's strategy is to push against our forward motion in Christ to kind of slow us down or even to stop us if he can. So his attacks, his influence, his activity is to stop the forward motion of our lives in Christ and therefore decrease the activity of the glory of God in us and its expression in our lives. How many of us have ever felt a resistance to walking in Christ? Anybody ever felt a resistance? Now, sometimes it's just because you just downright lazy. <laughs> but there is resistance. I don't have the time to talk to you about the resistance that I encountered dealing with this one issue. And I'm still not convinced, only except by the power of God and the grace of God, that I still have it in such a way as to present it correctly to you today. It's a great burden. What about the resistance on the inside in the mind, which is mainly where the resistance will occur? What about resistance in attitudes and desires and feelings and disappointments and fears, frustrations and failures, misunderstandings, unforgiveness, angers, social status, race relations, education, etc., etc., etc. All those things coming against us to put a weight on us, to put stumbling in front of us, so that the path that we are walking and pursuing is cluttered with obstacles so that we are not able to walk it as easily as we would like. There's a resistance. Satan resists. There's also a resistance from the outside. How many of us have ever encountered resistance from others? as pertaining to our lives in Christ. Anybody ever encountered resistance from others? And you know where it mainly comes from? Two sources. And I hate to say this, but I do believe it's true. Resistance mainly comes from our families and from others in the church. Our families and from others in the church. Well, what do you mean by that, brother? Our families and others in the church. Circumstances resist us. Finances may be resisting you from saying yes to the Lord's provision to give to the church. Health may be resisting your ability to function in Christ the way you would like to function. Opportunities may be resisting. I'm going to categorize Satan's weapons in two main categories. You may see it differently. You may be able to add more to this. But again, give me a little grace here to be trying to be succinct which is a real challenge for me. Satan's two main weapons we're going to talk about this morning are accusations and deceptions. 
accusations and deceptions. These are two main weapons that he concentrates against us specifically. You remember in Revelation 12, 10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says he accuses them, the brethren, before our God day and night. There is an accuser before the throne of God who is telling God all the things that we are doing bad. Oh, you see what he did? You see what he, you see? <laughs> Have we ever felt the accusing voice or ever heard the accusing voice? You ever felt you're being accused on the inside? I know we felt accused from others. Now, the accusation of Satan can come from either from within or from without. And shame on us when we do it from without. I have been a party to this, being used as an accuser of the brethren. Whether because of ignorance or just because of downright meanness, I have done this. I find that when we're, there's difficulty in a household of husband and wife, what begins to happen is in attitudes and even in prayer and in conversation, a husband and a wife begin to accuse one another. I'm not talking about sharing weaknesses and sharing uh, the difficulties and sharing, you know, the, the problems that we have. I'm talking about accusations, pointing fingers. You're doing the devil's work. He doesn't need your help. Let's not be accusing one another. Have you ever heard any of this? How can you be used by God with your background? How can you be used by God with your background? Your sin is too great to be forgiven. You've done it this time. You'll never get forgiveness this time. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never succeed. Any of us hear these? Accusations. You will never learn how to evangelize. I've watched you. <laughs> Why don't you hang that shield up and go do something else? You'll never be an evangelist sharing the gospel. Accusations. We must be aware that these are weapons of Satan. And when we begin to hear these thoughts and accusations against us, we need to take a definite stand against them and call them for what they are. You are lying to me. Stand against them. Don't give in to them, church. The only reason we sin is that we give in to sin. What about his ability to deceive? Deception. I think if there's any weapon of Satan, which is the main weapon, the main weapon is his weapon to deceive. Look, we're dealing with an enemy who can only fool us, can only deceive us, only accuse us. He cannot touch us unless it's God's will. And that is only in a few cases. You see, we're dealing with a... Satan, who is smoke and mirrors. He's to be considered as very crafty and very dangerous. But we don't have to cower. And we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to run from him. Deception. Satan is a master 
mind manipulator. And I believe his deception follows two main avenues. Lies and lures. Lies and lures. I define a lie as a falsification of facts. I define a lie as a falsification of facts. What is a lure? The Lord gave me this definition. I was out the other day praying and I was sitting there thinking, you know, I need to try to make a differentiation between lying and luring. And I said, Lord, would you give me a definition of luring? And within 10 seconds, I felt this definition. The lie is a falsification of facts and a lure is a falsification of feelings. Oh, I stood up and I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank God that he gives us understanding when we ain't got none in ourselves. Don't ever think greatness from the men who are behind this pulpit. See greatness in the God who is in the man behind the pulpit. We don't have anything to say at all. God has everything to say through us. Don't you like that definition? Falsification of feelings is a lure. And falsification of facts is a lie. You see, a deception is that which stands in the place of a truth. And the deception is that you don't know you're being deceived. I mean, if you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. You'd just be outright, purposefully sinning. Didn't say you wouldn't sin. I just said you wouldn't be deceived about it. You see, Satan lies about God's word, which is God's, the truth about who he is and how he is. When we say Satan lies about God's word, we are not only just saying there is a particular scripture in the Bible which Satan says, don't believe it. It is bigger than that. When Satan lies against God's word, about God's word rather, he is lying about who God is and how God is. He is lying about the essential nature and character of our great God. And so when he lies about God's word, and when we believe the lie, we receive false feelings about God and his goodness. And by them, we are lured into sin. When he lies about God, What happens? There is generated in us feelings of flesh. And those feelings of flesh, which you get in the gut, are generating a luring away from trusting God and honoring God and walking with God. Giving to the building fund. Oh, there he goes again. Yes, 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 yes. You know why? Because it's so much where we live. Giving to the building fund. How much are you going to give? Can you give? Should you give? And what happens is this. As we begin to calculate within the natural mind what we can do. And we're supposed to count the cost. 
we begin to look at the bank failures. We begin to see the stock market. We begin to wonder if the business that where we work is going to go under. And what is happening is Satan is whispering in your ear. You better not give because guess what is going to happen to you? And as that begins to occur, as we begin to hear those lies and begin to dwell upon them, rather than kicking them back to hell where they should be, we begin to feel what? What do you begin to feel? How many of you have felt those feelings just in the last several weeks as we've been dealing financial? Come on. How many of us have felt this? I had to turn off the radio the other day when this guy was saying this, that, and the other. I said, I don't want to hear this lie from Satan that the banks are going to fail. I don't know whether they're going to fail or not, but I know my God's bank will never fail. And it gripped me where? In the guts. And when I hear the lie, and I begin to live the lie, or believe the lie, and I begin to concentrate on it, or think, or consider the lie... My feelings get me in the guts. That's how you know whether it's a lie or not. The feelings get you in the guts, King James says, in the bowels of God. And when you begin to feel that, he's setting the hook of his lure to cause you not to obey God, but to come away from what God has said to do in whatever category it is and to dishonor God through disobedience and do something else instead. Are you with me, church? This is real! Where am I in my notes? See, doctrines of demons... Challenging the word of God. Look at the effect of this lie had on one woman. A lie was presented to just one woman. I'm not knocking women. Don't take that. Don't go that way. Don't receive that. That's what he'll say to you. You see, he doesn't like the ladies. A liar. <laughs> Look at the effect it had on one woman. 2 Corinthians 13, 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds, your minds may somehow be led astray, lured away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A lie became a lure and brought down the universe as a result. Satan has great ability to deceive those who will be deceived. And honey child, I can tell you, my intention for my life is not to be deceived by Satan. What about you? I determine in Christ, I determine in prayer, I determine in study of the word, I determine in anything and everything I do, not to be deceived by this cunning, crafty snake. Be determined not to be deceived. Jesus, remember, called Satan a liar in John 8, 44, and the father of lies. But you see, Satan's success rests not with him, but with us. The success that Satan would have in your life or in my life 
is not resting with his abilities. It's resting with my faith in Christ. So don't think that Satan has all kinds of abilities to do what he wants to do and what he will do. The buck stops here with me and my decision to be obedient to the will of God in my life. He can't go further than that. You see, all of this is occurring where? In the venue of our minds. That's the greatest battleground, I think, for the Christian. If I had to select the great battleground, I know there are a lot of others, I would say the mind, the thoughts, the desires, the feelings, the, you know, whatever is happening in these heads of ours. That's the soil of his presentation through his own thoughts and suggestions. Where do you think this stuff comes from? You're having a nice day. You're doing just fine. And all of a sudden, gentlemen, a a mind-boggling thought comes across your mind and slams into you. Any man here, I'll raise my hand first, ever been okay and we're just kind of meandering through life, kind of moseing along, all of a sudden, boom, something comes in our mind that should never have come in. Anybody ever had that happen before? Come on, come on. Any man in here, where did it come from? You see, he bombards us with opportunity, thoughts, and considerations, and whispers. It's against the mind that he's coming. Is it no wonder that Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, what does he say? I beseech you therefore, brethren, in view of the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Let me get to the other part. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that will of God, good and acceptable will of God. It's in the mind. The battle is in the mind. And once it gets into my mind, then it flows into my feelings and desires. And that's where the hook is. First Peter 1.13, at least in one of the translations, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Come on, be sober, gird yourself up and begin to live in a way that you will anticipate and be ready for and stand against these kinds of things. Just think how often you and I have been fooled through deception by the enemy. But the truth of the matter is, we don't have to live that way at all. We can live in victory over this. Now, you see, most of us experience what I hate to call normal sins. But I think there is normal sin in our life because we live in fallen bodies. So there's normal sinning happening on the daily. There's normal weeds coming up out of the ground. But all of a sudden, if something came out of the ground, great, big and enormous, hey, that's not normal. But how many of you have noticed that when the little green thing pokes his head up in the ground, that's normal, right? How many of you find it abnormal when weeds get into your garden? Anybody here think, oh, I've never seen a weed before. What is that? We know what weeds are. We're ready for weeds. 
But how many of us know that if you let the little green thing grow and grow and grow, if you're not careful, that little normal green thing will begin to take over the garden. Amen? I mean, just as Daniel Ford and the group that goes out on the weekends trying to cut down and smash and cut through these little green things. They all started how, Daniel? As little green things. They all started as innocuous little green things. I mean, so what? It's just a few little green things, a few little thoughts, a few few little considerations, a few little attitudes, a few little... So what? Why be so upset? Because they will choke the very life out of you if you let them go beyond dealing with them immediately. You see, Satan's activity when we sin is waiting to great bring greater influence and control in our lives. Every time we commit a sin, this is a possibility or an opportunity for greater ascendancy of the presence and work of Satan in my life. I did not say that every time I sin, Satan will do something. I said there is an opportunity for Satan to move in a way to have much greater influence. Which would have catastrophic results every time. Don't you just sit there and think, well, this just happens to a few people and it's going to... Every time we sin, there is a knocking at my door to say, won't you let me come in and be with you? Every time we sin, it's a little tapping on our chamber door by Satan to say, can I come in? You see, his ascendancy influencing us only is on the ground of our sin. It's only on the ground of our sin. And as a result, we might be expecting, experiencing more than normal sin activity, which may be a stronghold. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is an area of my life inside that is not easily dealt with And resists the normal, simple, Father, I am wrong, I repent of that, and I ask your grace for overcoming it. That should be the normal way we deal with sin. Father, I have sinned. I'm asking you to cause repentance and your overcoming grace to deal with this issue of sin. That's normal Christian living. Every time I sin, I should do that. Every time I sin. But there may be an activity in you. Something is going on that, mm, you know, I do that 28 times a day and this thing is still there. You see, are you easily provoked to anger or have a bad temper that gets you out of control too often? Is there something about your anger that really is beyond the normal? The normal anger. Are you wrestling unsuccessfully against lust? I think if there's an issue with men in the church, outside of the church, but with men, it's the issue of sexual lust is probably one of the most predominant wrestling areas in a man. And is probably one of the 
easiest areas for Satan to take control because of your background, your childhood, and all of that kind of stuff. Even before you came to Christ, you've dumped a whole lot of stuff in here, and now you have something in you that's a little more than just kind of dealing with it under the normal circumstances. There may be a stronghold here. If these things are not being taken care of within the normal context of dealing with sin, they are strong influences. Are you experiencing fear on a regular basis? Too much fear. I mean, once in a while, something could frighten you. You walk down the street and something tickles your ear. You think it's a roach. Oh, you know, like, oh, man. You know, really, you know, somebody comes in the room, you didn't. Oh, oh. Yeah, okay, fine. That's not abnormal. It's not wrong. Not, not trusting God, you afraid. But see, is there an abnormal fear in your life? About whatever. About whatever. People, circumstances, whatever. Are there aspirations that seem to dominate you? I mean, this thing is, man, this is it. Do you have a struggle in submitting to authority? Man, I just can't do it. I just don't like anybody telling me what to do. Strongholds. What about issues of self-control in eating or laziness? Or you're, quote, unable to forgive someone for a wrong done to you or to someone whom you love. The issue of unforgiveness. Even with that one, 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul said, but be careful of this issue of unforgiveness because we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. These may be strongholds for you. Identify in your own life what's going on. I've had to do this in the past in my life. There have been strongholds in me that the Holy Spirit had to show me what was going on and how to deal with them so I could get out from underneath them. For the love of God, don't live within the context of a stronghold anymore. Let's be a people who are free in this and in every area of our life. Does this mean I'm demon-possessed? Demon-possessed. Well, you see, it's not a good term. When King James uses that term, it didn't mean today then what it means today it just meant strong and fluent but we took the possess you know and it means something differently words change over the years as we know can a believer be demon possessed no so that believer that you thinking about doesn't have a demon on you know isn't demon possessed no the, the new testament doesn't teach this Satan cannot make us do anything we do not want to do. Now, repeat that. Satan cannot make us do anything we do not want to do. We sin because we mostly want to sin. Satan's just taking advantage of that to stir it up a little more. You see, he desires to take full advantage of our fleshly weaknesses to open windows to our souls And the opening of a window to my soul to allow Satan to come in is on the basis of my sinning. And so every time I sin, it's as if I'm going to the window of my soul and I am beginning to put my hand on the lock that controls that window against Satan. And as I sin or as I continue to sin, I am turning the lock which would keep him out. And as I continue to sin, I am opening the window and bringing him in through my disobedience. 
He can't come in and kick the window down. He has to get in by my permission. Ephesians 6, 16, the flaming arrows of the evil one. He wants to inflame our weaknesses as we sin. He wants to inflame these, whatever the weakness is, fleshly desire, fear, anger, resentment, laziness. He wants to inflame it. See, this is why we need the shield of faith, taking up the shield of faith in that same verse. There's only one area, one way Satan can inflame us. Only one entrance area into our soul, into this kind of category. And that's through continual and unrepentant sin. You may be sitting here this morning and there is an issue in you, an attitude, a thought, a desire, a relationship, a decision or whatever it may be that has been yours for years and you are simply not dealing with it effectively. If you think you are and you're still not winning the battle, you need to go to somebody and figure out how to get this battle won. But for the most part, we become comfortable with these things and we like these things and we hold on to them because they are sinfully self-affirmations. And Satan is taking advantage of this. He can only come in through unrepentance. But you see, Satan can be effectively dealt with. What are we to do? If we recognize the existence of a stronghold, ask the Lord if there's any demonic influence here and deal with him. If so, we need to address the thing directly. I remember in Russia years ago. I told the story before. If you've heard it, you may take a nap during this part. And we were in a big room together in Toliati. And we were all sitting in there meeting all the pastors and everybody, you know. And Mike Hannon walks in. He's the kind of lead man. And he comes up and whispers in my ear. He says, I want you to go next door and cast a demon out of that lady. I looked around. No, no, I looked around. Don't you see somebody else here besides me? Am I the only pastor? I've been on staff three years. These other guys have been here 30, 40 years dealing with the enemy, dealing with the uh, spiritual need. I mean, all these other guys are way beyond me on this. I, who, huh? He didn't take no for an answer. See, that's what's the problem with a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows when to not take no for an answer. So I got up and went into the other room. There's a lady sitting in a chair. You didn't, you didn't think I could do that, huh? Doing all this stuff. She's sitting in the chair and there are a bunch of women standing around her. Now, don't take this critically. We believe in speaking in tongues, but in the proper place. They're all speaking in tongues. So I go in there and say, look, ladies, let's not speak in tongues anymore. Ooh, I got some looks on that one. It wasn't the time for speaking in tongues. It was a time for dealing with the demonic. So I Knelt down in front of her and she put her hands on my arms and I thought there were two vites. Boom! She grabbed my arm. I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> Believe me, this lady had some strength. Started talking to her. I said, demon, whatever you are, you're coming out. <laughs> you know, like, I used to watch this on TV. I'd, hmm. You're coming out. We have authority. 
We have authority. We have authority. We have authority in Christ. Don't take it when the enemy comes against you. You're coming out. You're coming out. Come out. You're coming out. I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. 10 or 15 minutes of this, you come out. Now, this isn't like the exodus. She all of a sudden, she kind of like, and her grip. So I'm thinking now, now what do I do? Is this thing just taking a nap? You know, what do I do now? I don't have any training in this. But I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit who told me to go in there with His power. And that's all I needed. And so the thought came across in my mind. And I told Natasha, do not translate this. I said, Father, I said it openly. I said, but don't translate it. If this lady is freed, is an unsaved lady. I'm asking you to cause her to stand, raise her hand, and begin to worship God. See, I try to make it real hard on God. <laughs> like, hey, no way that we're going to miss this one, right? How many of you are with me on that? Man, we don't want to mess this thing up. We sitting there, sitting there, all of a sudden. Up she comes. Up she comes. And she starts worshiping the Lord. Today, she's the secretary of the church in Toliata. Her name is Julia. Yes. First John 3, 8 says, For the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. Matt said it this morning. Remember this verse. First John 3, 8. For the Son of God has appeared for this purpose. What? To destroy the works of the evil one. Let me quickly go through the last part of this, and I apologize for doing this quickly. Because I don't want you to think that this is the least part of it. Why can we have victory? Why? Because the good news is that we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 1 John 2, 1. Amen? How can we expect victory? Why do we have victory? Why can we walk in victory? Why do we know that we're going to make it through? Why can we do it? Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have an advocate, a lawyer who stands before God, pleading our defense as saved, blood-washed, children that he has purchased through the cross who is this one he is sovereign over all he is a sovereign god remember this when we walk out of here today and begin to encounter the vicissitudes of life and especially the spiritual opposition god jesus christ is sovereign all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me all rule in heaven and earth in the principalities and the powers over all things ephesians 1 23 he has broken sin's authority at the cross and in colossians 2 13 through 15 the bible says and he's triumphed over them god has triumphed over satan through the cross of christ 
Satan is a defeated and broken enemy. God has given us his spirit of power. Remember, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of, what, timidity, but of what? Love. What? Power. And of a sound mind. 1 John 4.4 says what? For greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Whom shall I fear? What shall I fear? My fear shows that I don't trust the Lord. And I determine I will trust God. Determine it with me. We will trust the Lord. Why? Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If it's true, let's do it. If it isn't, let's just go do something else today. He will complete the work that he's begun in us. Philippians 1, 6. He will complete it. So what is our action? What are we to do? How do we respond to these attacks, these pressures, these resistances, strongholds, activity in us and outside of us, among others? First of all, remember our advocate that he is in us. Remember who Christ is in us. Remember that. Second, let's do it without fear. I've already said that. God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Let's do it. No fear. There's no fear in facing Satan. Third, by being obedient to the will of God, I believe the most powerful weapon that Satan comes across in a believer's life is the purity and righteousness of an obedient believer. Remember what Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh after me. Remember John 14, 30. But he has nothing in me. There was only righteousness in Christ. And as a result of that, Satan could not and cannot and will never be able to penetrate the wall of righteousness in Christ. You want a wall of strength put about you and within you? Live righteously. Live obediently. James 4, 7, Colossians 1, 10, 1 John 1, 9. Submit yourselves to God. Live a life worthy of the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Also, let's remember that we have been given spiritual weapons. I didn't deal much with this today at all. There's a whole weaponry out there. A weaponry out there. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. Tells you what to do. Resist Satan. <clears throat> Remember submitting to God. Resist Satan. May I give you. And you need to write this thing down. May I give you the most powerful weapon against the attacks, insinuations, lures, lies, accusations, attempts and influence of Satan. May I give you the most powerful word in the entire dictionary. What is it? No. Say it with me. Oh, Satan. What is that? No. Say no with me. No. I've had to yell it out. I've had to stomp it. 
But by the grace of God, let your no be no in the power and in the will of God. Not being double-minded. Well, no, but I wondered. And boom, you get knocked down because James said, let not a double-minded man think. He has anything from God. He's going to mow you over, the uh, Satan will. But be confirmed in the will of God that when I say no to any feeling, any thought, any desire, any activity, any influence, any act, whatever it is, no matter what it is, when I say no to that in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, that thing will have to go. I've never had an experience in my life where when I said no, that thing remained. Why? Because God is faithful. To deal with the issue. If I grab a hold of him in faith and respond to it faithfully. Amen? You want to defeat the devil? Learn to say no to your desire, to your feeling, to your fear, to your anxiety, to your anger, or to whatever it is. It's not a convoluted thing. you just got to say no. Resist the devil. <clears throat> And finally, and there could be more, and I think this is so important, be careful to give God the glory with a humble and thankful heart. Oh, don't be prideful. Don't be caught up in your abilities. Let's be caught up in the power of God, in the presence of God, that He would so grace us. Oh, that He would so grace us To be able to be freed from Satan's control and then to give us ability to walk free of that influence. Amen? Humility and thankfulness to our God. What will the biblical result be? Satan will flee from you. Listen to Paul. And if anybody experienced personal warfare, this man did. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Friends, we can be a victorious people. We should be a victorious people. We better be a victorious people. Because there is a commander standing in the heavens, sitting as to the finished work of redemption and standing as to the ongoing conflict. Acts 7.55 Sitting as to the completed work of redemption, standing as to the, res the ongoing conflict. And that commander rules the day forever and ever. Amen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>